Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network, brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family owned and operated, a no pressure, laid back atmosphere, and always home of the free maintenance for life. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. What's up, Razorback Nation? Welcome into episode 194 of the one and only Hog Talk podcast live from the Heinemann Services Studios. I am your host, Kyle Sutherland, and we thank you for joining us once again. Whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, make sure to hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Please be sure also to leave us a written review and five-star rating to help us get our name out there. And the show is brought to you, as always, by our friends at Bet Online. They have you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. Plus, the best part, it is free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device today and receive 50% on your first welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Guys, this is going to be another softball and baseball-loaded show. We've had these before, but a couple of things mixed in there in between. This is all strictly softball and baseball with the Ladybacks beginning their regionals this weekend. The Diamond Hogs playing their final regular season series of the year against Florida. Here in just a few moments, Porter is going to talk with Pig Trail Nation anchor Alyssa Orange. It's good to have Alyssa back on the show, especially considering she uh, gave birth not too long ago. So congrats to her and Sawyer for once again becoming parents. Look forward to hearing that conversation and also in the final segment Kevin breaks down the Florida series with Gators territory writer Nick DeLatour from the Rivals Network. And, guys, pretty much all I have for you, just a quick heads up, our Monday show is going to be Tuesday for next week due to some changes in our schedule. But going to drop a day late. It'll be back to the normally scheduled programming the following week. So, without further ado, here's Porter and Alyssa. Welcome back to episode 194 of the Hog Talks podcast. Well, now we go to the Workman's Travel Center hotline and bring in one of our regular guests. Kind of been here from the beginning, Alyssa Orange from Pig Trail Nation. Uh, how, how's things been going? You know, it's good to hear from you guys. It's been a while, obviously. I'm in the middle of maternity leave, so it's good to know I haven't been forgotten. And uh, just trying to survive and watch as much sports as I can while I'm hanging out with my baby. Yes, I, I was going to get into that. You know, with everything going on in sports, you, you kind of had a, a a top moment happen a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, gave birth to my daughter, Bella, and on May 4th. So, um, you know, for the past two weeks, I haven't had to put makeup on or do my hair, and that's been great. Uh, but I have been still trying to pay attention from afar, and I know a lot's been going on. And it's an exciting time right now for softball, for baseball, even off-season women's basketball and men's basketball, too. So, um, you know, obviously very busy on Twitter in the middle of the night, specifically when I'm feeding her. Yes, and, and going to <laughs> softball, I mean, we had some really big news come out with, you know, the 100% capacity in Baldwin. Mm-hmm. I know it means a lot to, you know, the baseball fans and actually getting to go 100% Florida, but what especially does it mean to Arkansas, the softball team where, you know, they're having so much success and now people are actually going to be able to fill that thing up with the region tournament. Yeah. You know, I think that's the one thing that if you were to ask the basketball coaches, what they would have wanted out of the season, they would have said a full Bud Walton arena. I mean, you look at the seasons that teams across this um, campus are having and, the fact that fans can't be there completely to experience it with them has kind of been the downside of all of it. Um, and so for Courtney Dyfel and that staff and those players, um, I would expect Bogle Park on Friday to be um, uh, record setting crowds, honestly. Um, and I think that they deserve that. And I think 
people are itching to go to these games. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who are baseball fans who are telling me they're going over to softball games and they've never been to a softball game before. And so obviously when you're successful, you're going to bring in those kind of crowds. And um, unfortunately COVID hasn't allowed them to do so. And I know that this fan base is going to support them now that they're able to walk inside those gates. I think that's one thing us in the media, coaches, players, fans, I think that's one thing we can all collectively say that, you know, we're ready for things to get back to normal, get back in the press boxes, get the fans back in the, into the stadiums, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, we we know because we've worked here for a long time what it's like and, and the atmosphere that it brings. And, um, you know, we saw a regional two years ago for softball that was absolutely packed and that atmosphere was great you even had coach neighbors and a bunch of other people parking their trucks backwards along that edge of lot 56d to watch games and it was really cool and the fact that they haven't been able to experience any of that this year um, is unfortunate because of the success that they're having and so I mean we know what it's like sitting in the press box and feeling the energy and um, there's a lot of fans out there who are now starting to pay attention to softball and, and they deserve to go out to Bogle Park and feel that same kind of energy that we're used to. I think one thing that really impressed me this year was, I can't remember what series, it, I want to say it was the Alabama series, but it, first pitch was in the 40s and it was 11 o'clock. They moved it up and fans were piling in. People were coming up to get tickets and they were getting turned away. And I think that just, showed what Courtney Dyfel and this team has done to really rally people around them. And, you know, they got lucky. And, of course, the baseball was playing in the way series. So it just seems like everybody wants to flock to something. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with the basketball team, with the soccer team, with the softball team, I think they've really benefited from COVID and the fact that people are just itching to go watch and, and support the Razorbacks in any way possible. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think, too, um, you know, that was the first time Bogle Park has ever had a top 10 matchup um, in program history. And so um, I think a lot of these Arkansas fans want to be a part of history. They want to go out there and they want to watch Braxton Birdside hit home runs and they want to watch Mary Half in the circle and they want to watch um, this team continue to set new records and set new standards and be successful and win games. I mean, you know. I don't know about you and and I'm not saying at all that I ever doubted the softball team. And it's kind of like the baseball team where it's like, there's that thing in the back of your head. That's like, gosh, is this sustainable? At what point is this team going to like have a hiccup and drop a series or have a hiccup and like start losing games again. And it's going to go and it doesn't happen. And for the first time you've got two programs who are inside the top 10 um, and, and truly inside the top six. And uh, you're like, oh my gosh, like this, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to have programs that are successful to where they're not going to fall off. This isn't a fluke. This isn't, you know, something that's going to go away anytime soon. And so I think fans are thriving right now and, and they want to be a part of it. And you, you follow the, the program for a while and, and been a part of Pig Trail Nation. When is the last time you think you can remember that as a whole, every sport, I mean, at one time, every spring sport was ranked. Like, when, is, when have you ever seen the buzz around sure. this program like it no. is right now? Never. And, and, and that's someone who's been here seven years um, but I got here um, in 2013 when Brett Bielema took over the program and, um, you know, Mike Anderson was still the basketball coach and Tom Collin was the women's basketball coach and Mike Larrabee was actually the softball coach. Dave has been the consistent. Dave's always, been, <laughs> Dave's always been here, but um, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of the joke of like, yeah, I cover an SEC team, but man, they're not very good. Uh, and at the time they weren't most you know, those, some of those programs were decent, but when you're talking about compared to where they are right now, it's, it's night and day. And I have never experienced And even honestly, that's just me. You asked Mike Irwin, it's been a long time since Mike Irwin has experienced, if ever this much success collectively as a program 
um, and the 45 years that he's been covering the Razorbacks. So taking it a step further from myself, I know Mike is even impressed and in, in, in kind of uncharted waters in a sense where he's never been like, everyone is winning. Like what is in the water on the hill? Because everyone is winning. Well, and I think you kind of touched on before we jump into the team, I've interviewed a lot of the coaches and talked to them. They've all said the same thing. And it's just the what Hunter Juracek has done for them, Mm -hmm. the attention, him going and the culture he has set in this. You know, I know Jeff Long Mm -hmm. kind of really started the one Razorback thing, but I think Hunter Juracek has really taken Mm -hmm. over that and taken it to a whole new level. What do you think? as being in the media, that means to not only the coaches, but Mm -hmm. the teams that we cover, the basketball, women's basketball team, the softball team, gymnastics, track and field, soccer. What do you think it means to those secondary programs that they feel just as important as the men's Mm -hmm. basketball, baseball, and football team? Well, I think you said it right there. I think you look at these other programs and these other athletes and not that anyone before Hunter Juracek made them feel unimportant. But I really think that Hunter Juracek has embraced what it means to be a Razorback and has acknowledged the fact that these programs are successful and they're winning. And just because you happen to be the tennis team, you're still a ranked program and you deserve recognition. I mean, you look at all of the pillars that wrap around that outdoor stadium for men's and women's track and field. And they're one of the winningest programs, if not the winningest program in college athletics, period. Um, And and sometimes they're an afterthought uh, because they're track and field. And so I think Hunter's done a really good job. And I think that kind of comes with the fact that Hunter set really high standards for himself when he walked in here. He knew he's a kid that was born in Richmond, Virginia, that moved to North Carolina, that came from Houston. He had no ties to the state of Arkansas. And I think he knew that. And he realized quickly coming in here, he needed to connect and he needed to find a way to show people that he is hundred percent invested in this state and in this program and in this athletic department And because Hunter set such high standards for himself and what he's been able to do, I think it trickles down to your coaches. It trickles down to your players and we're seeing success happen right now. And now he can put his money where his mouth is. You know, some people were like, I don't know about that hire, you know, firing Mike Anderson was one of his first big decisions he had to make. And then he hires Eric Musselman and here we are. I think we've all kind of seen how that's gone. And then he hires Jordan Weber over at, um, gymnastics and um, he hires Sam Pittman at football and um, not only that he's then able to you know really build a good relationship with Dave Van Horn and they're building those facilities over there he's got a great relationship with track and field and he's putting money and dedication into that I mean that's something that Dave has said before and he's not necessarily calling people out but for the first time he feels like he could he works for a guy here that he likes who is investing in their programs. Baseball is getting new facilities. Track and field is getting new facilities. And it's not just the football team anymore or the basketball team anymore. And I think um, that's really important. Yeah, I I actually work up in Northwest Arkansas some in in Fayetteville. And it's almost like every time you drive by the campus, something else is getting put up and look, and it's almost looking like a a, (laughs) – Crystal Bridges. I mean, just, they're not just building mm-hmm. new facilities. They're building top-of-the-notch facilities. And, you know, going to the softball team, you know, Courtney Dyfield started off, you know, 1-23 in 23 her first year and really has got this program on a climb. It's not been a, a one year they had a lot of success. You've seen things coming, and we touched on it earlier mm-hmm. with we didn't think they would be this good. Mm-hmm. But I think take what they were taking away from last year, that hunger – and that talent coming back. I mean, what do you think has been the biggest key to the Mm -hmm. success this year? Yeah, I I think a lot of those women know that they can't take anything for granted. I mean, look at Braxton Burnside. It should have been her senior year last year. She shouldn't be here. Neither should Autumn Storm. Neither should um, a lot of those girls. And so this is a year that they honestly shouldn't have had. And now they're taking advantage of it. I think that plays into this year. But I talked to Courtney before the season started just to talk to her about building a program and what that's been like. And now six years in, 
um, you know, she got that question year one and year two of where you want the program to be and what are your expectations. And now when you're six, it's, it's where are you, where you want to be? And she said, no, I mean, she's obviously, you love where you're at. And this was before the season started, but they're not where they want to be. And obviously this is a big step towards that. Um, but it has a lot to do with the players that bought in. Um, it has a lot to do with, um, Autumn Storms coming here and Mary Half coming here and Kayla Green coming here and Braxton Burnside deciding to transfer here. If it wasn't for them, they wouldn't have been able to be in a conversation with a lot of these athletes around the country. And now not only are they in conversations with the, some of the top softball players in the country, but they're, they're, they're putting up a really good argument. Why not come to Arkansas? Uh, and, and Mike Neighbors is doing the same thing with the basketball program. If it wasn't for Chelsea Dungy or Amber Ramirez taking a leap of faith on this program, all this offseason success and the talent that he's bringing in for next year probably wouldn't be happening because it's got to start somewhere. Um, and I think both coaches, and specifically Courtney, really gives credit to those girls who kind of bought into her vision early on. Yeah, and with Courtney Dyfel, I don't think I've ne never encountered – someone who is when you put the attention and spotlight on them they shy mm -hmm. away from it so much mm -hmm. and it's almost like she doesn't want it she feels like even when they was talking about coach of the year she said staff of the year but you turn around and you mention the players and it's almost a light switch flips on her smile gets really big mm -hmm. and she just she wants the players and her staff to have all the recognition and really not so what do you think that says to the players that they know they have a coach that is very humble but yet when it comes to her kids, she's all about giving them the recognition they deserve. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, why would you not want to play for a coach like that? You know, I mean, why, why would you not want to be a part of a program like that, that makes you feel like a unit and not just, um, you know, a number of, Oh, look, I look who I signed this year. And then they, they move on. I mean, I don't, I'm sure she does, but I've never seen Courtney Dyfel in a bad mood or, or necessarily no. like super angry. I mean, uh, even when, even after the disappointing loss in the SEC tournament, yeah, she was disappointed and she was upset, but um, she's still real and, and still didn't lose, you know, who she was. And, um, and so I think just, I mean, when you're around someone like that, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be a part of it. Yeah. And the only time I really seen her get flustered in the team, I mean, even with the, the series loss against Alabama, I mean, they were in every all three games and that Missouri series though it seemed like it was different it seemed like Missouri come out hot and I don't know if it was partly because you know Braxton Burnside come to Arkansas and had a lot of success and you know they mm -hmm. kind of wanted to prove that they were still a better program but that was the only time this year I felt like they got really pushed around and that says a lot about a team who like I said five years ago was one in 23 and now they're one of the top teams mm -hmm. in the in the conference yeah, absolutely. And they, they were upset after that game. They were upset after losing to Tennessee and, and, and you should be, I mean, you're a program now that, you know, you should, you should be upset. You should be angry. You should go back to the drawing board and fix whatever happened instead of just being excited that you were, you know, you only lost by two runs and not seven runs. Um, it's a different mentality. And, and, and that's what Courtney, but Dyfel's building is a mentality of just, um, you know, being hungry and, and playing, you know, top-notch softball. And it's something that that program's never seen before. Yeah. And they have the offensive power. I mean, top to bottom, they have, I mean, I've told her before the season really got kicked off. I feel like this is going to be one of the most balanced teams she's had. And with the emergence of Jenna Bloom in that third spot, really coming up, helping mm -hmm. out storms. And, you know, when storms has had her back issue, she's come mm -hmm. up and, and Mary have taken that, leap that she has with you know coming off her own injury and just getting that second chance with COVID I think this team is just one of the most complete teams and of late they've had their struggles on offense but I think now with the regionals coming they're ready for mm -hmm. ready for the postseason play yeah you know it's funny we, we say all that and I remember Courtney a few series ago has said you know we we play we play good defense. We have a good offense and we're good in the circle, but we're not great right now. And just wait till all three things are clicking at the same time. And they, they were winning, you know, they, 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 they've been winning. And, and for Courtney Dyfel to still say, we haven't played our best yet. 
put all three of those things together and, and see what kind of team we are. I mean, that's exciting. And so there's a lot of potential for this team. Obviously the loss in the SEC tournament is, is disappointing. The good thing is, as opposed to the basketball team, you can lose a game in the regional and still survive. It's, um, you know, some people might be a little nervous, like, uh Oh, are they going to go? And, you know, now they're, they lost. Are they going to go lose in regionals? But I think the regionals that they drew, um, sets themselves up nicely. Um, and, and I, I expect probably them to play Stanford, uh, in the championship game and, um, hopefully get out of their regional and head to a super regional and hopefully head to Oklahoma city. But, uh, this team is, is one that I, I can't sit here and, and doubt them anymore. I mean, we, we, we've gotten to a point where, uh, they just make us eat our words. <laughs> if we see if we yeah. any negative. So, uh, you, you know, the, 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 the nice thing about where I'm sitting right now and, um, I can, I can sit back and actually watch some games now that I'm on maternity leave and do that. And enjoy some of these matchups is, uh, you know, I get to actually truly, truly see what this team is about and I'm looking forward to it. Now jumping over to the basketball team and, you know, Alyssa, who would have thought a month ago, with the loss of Chelsea Dungey, Destiny mm-hmm. Slocum, that we would think that this team could be j- just a stack and maybe not, if not even better with the additions yeah. he's brought in. Yeah. Who would have thought that? That's scary to say, right? This team better than the, yeah. Um, and that's one thing that people have asked is, you know, what are the expectations for this women's program? And it's like, honestly, yeah, they lost Chelsea Dungey and they lost Destiny Slocum and Taylor Thomas. Um and Jalen Mason, but at the same time, they're replacing talent with talent that's either equal or better to what they had. Um, and, and that's with freshmen and redshirt freshmen that are going to be transferring in. And that's what's incredible is um, the young, young talent that's setting this program up for the future. Um, and, and it's exciting. And, and you've got, you know, some senior leadership or upperclassmen leadership like Michaela Daniels coming back and, um, Markeisha Davis and Aaron Barnum. And so you've got some older pieces mixed with some really, really young, very, very talented girls. Um, yeah. Wa- watch out in the sec, watch out South Carolina and, and, and LSU. Kim Mulkey came into the league. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see what Kim Mulkey's got up her sleeve, but, um, and then on top of it, he brings back Lacey Goldwire, who is a huge addition again to his program. Um, in terms of coaching staff, uh, she was here, she left for Tennessee for a few years and now she's, now she's back. So, um, neighbors knows what he's doing over there and, uh, he's, he's continuing to put the pieces in the right places. Yeah. And speaking of Lacey, go wire. I mean, just how important is it to bring somebody not only that is familiar with the program, but knew where the program was and now just how good of a recruiter she was getting these people to buy in when the, mm-hmm. the program was really not there. And so how, mm-hmm. how awesome do you think it is for her knowing that I get to recruit better talent because mm-hmm. they're going to be bought into where we're at now? Yeah, I, I think it makes her job easier for sure. Um, I mean, she I know talking with um, Coach Neighbors and Michaela Daniels, she was a huge part of Michaela Daniels um, recruiting. And I know that Michaela came to Arkansas mainly because of Lacey and the the relationship that they were able to build. And again, she's coming all the way from Maryland out here. And then Lacey ended up going to Tennessee afterwards. And so those two will reunite, which I know that they're excited about, but if I'm Lacey, my job is one 10 times easier, but it's an, also an easier sell. I can say, look, I've been here. I left and I came back and there's a reason why I came back. And, um, you know, w- recruiting is, we all know that recruiting is half the battle in, in college athletics. And so um, to have Lacey Goldwire back on your team is a, is a good one for Mike Neighbors. So what do you think that says about the state of the program? You know, Braxton Burnside and softball, Sasha Goforth, you know, all these players that have went other mm-hmm. places, Lacey mm-hmm. Goldwire, now they're coming back. What do you say that you know, they're not getting run off the bat, but now they're getting them to come back because they see that success that's going mm-hmm. on in, in favor. It's like they want to be a part of it now. 
Sure. Uh, well, well, I'll let you in on a, a little secret of mine. I won't drop any names, but my mom, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, Virginia and, uh, my mom is still there and, and she's a teacher in the schools and she works with a woman whose daughter is a, a collegiate track athlete. And my mom calls me the other day and she's like, Hey, can you do me a favor? And I'm like, yeah. And this girl runs at another sec program. And she says, Hey, I was talking to her mom and she's in the transfer portal and she really wants to come to Arkansas. Do you know anyone that you could like kind of let people, you know, and obviously I have the track coaches, um, and they know me and, and I, my mom's over here calling me, telling me basically to go text Lance Harder that this girl's in the trick <laughs> really wants to come to Arkansas. And so I laugh because I think like, mom, I have no control over that, but sure. And what to Lance and that staff, Chris Johnson, those guys, they know what they're doing. They don't need, yeah. <laughs> they don't need me to let them know, but um, sure enough that, you know, Arkansas um, contacted her and, um, my mom then texted me later that night and was like, she is so ecstatic. She's just loves, she wants to run for Arkansas. She loves it. And again, when she was being recruited out of high school, um, you know, didn't really know much about Arkansas, the school that she went to. And I think Miami might've been another one of her top schools, but she's someone who obviously has come and seen the facility. She's competed here. She um, has seen what Arkansas has to offer. And so that's just a small little story of what I'm trying to say is once you see it, you're like, Holy cow, you know, and um, you want to be a part of it. You see this team have success and that's just track. You see softball have success. You see this women's basketball program have success. And you're like, wait a second. Like I want to, I want to go hang out with those guys. <laughs> yeah, I want to sit at the cool table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I've noticed with, with Coach Dyfel, Coach Weaver, you know, Musselman, these these people that you that have come out from out of state. They knew nothing about the culture or, that surrounds Arkansas and the fan base and what Fayetteville has to offer. And it seems like they get a little taste of that Kool-Aid, and it's like they are hooked. And it seems like every coach that I've talked to, they're like, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. You know, you were talking about Mike Irwin. He came from Texas, you know, and they get up to this fan base and they they fall in love. And I think that's another thing is even though the fans can be crazy on Twitter and, and go crazy after a loss, it's like I think part of that really draws them in. And you get a program like the softball team who can get 35,000 to show up. you got a soccer team who can get – 3,000 to show up when they're you look I was talking to Courtney and I was looking at a box score from the OU Texas game in softball there was 500 people that showed up and it's just like you go to mm-hmm. Arkansas and they're begging to get a thousand in there because more people are wanting to come in there mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um and and I can test uh be a testament to the fact that look I'm a girl from Virginia who went to college in Florida and moved to Texas and then here and I'd never been to Arkansas before and seven years later, I'm still here. And there's a reason I'm still here. I mean, I'm married to Fayetteville native. So there was that, too. but, um, you know, here for the long haul, my mom, as I mentioned, my mom is moving here. She's building a house. So I've talked to my mom into moving to Arkansas and that's just, again, it's, you got to get here. And, and I remember, um, even Brett Bielema would say that from the beginning. And this is a guy again, from the North who had never been to Arkansas either is we, you just got to get guys here. If we can get you on campus, we're going to keep you. We just got to get you here. And, and every coach kind of has that mentality. You know, some kids around the country, Arkansas might not be super sexy on paper, but we'll get you here and we'll keep you here. You know, you just got to let us show you first. Um, and so what's even more impressive, I think, during COVID is the fact that all of these things have been virtual you know, these kids are doing these virtual visits and they've done such a great job with showing off the campus and the universities and the program in the area virtually because uh, you can't get kids here. Um, but I think that's kind of the recipe is, is get them up here to this little Northwest Arkansas secret corner of the state that we have up here. And uh, you're, you're, you're most likely to keep them. Yeah. Well, Alyssa, again, thank you. It's always a pleasure having you on. And, and it's super special this time because you took 
time out of your your break oh, yeah. that you get being a mother and and spending time with us. So of congratulations course. on the new addition to you and Saul, and looking forward to seeing you in the press box again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Hopefully, uh, when I get back, we're uh, full capacity for football. So. I'm excited, looking forward to it. And hey, right now I'm going to sit on my couch and enjoy some softball and hopefully watch both the baseball and softball teams make it to the World Series. Well, there you go. Well, coming up after the break, we're going to have Nick Delatore talking to Kevin Bohannon coming up the baseball series with Florida in a full jam-packed Baumwalker Stadium. Catch us after the break. With American National, you get a dedicated agent who will help you make well-informed decisions about protecting your lifestyle. Call us today for a free review of your commercial, home, and auto policies, or to learn more about our customizable farm and ranch insurance. Let the Atkins Agency be your agency of choice. You can visit us on the web at theatkinsagency.com. Call us at 501-428-0877 or connect with us through Facebook. Go Hogs! Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. Tackle your to-do list without breaking your back or getting your hands dirty by calling Heinemann Services. Located in Northwest Arkansas, Heinemann Services is your premier company to get those projects done that you've been putting off. Whether small remodels, lawn care, carpentry, and much more, they take care of you in a timely manner with exceptional customer service. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Razorback fans, welcome back to episode 194 of the Hog Talk podcast. I'm Kevin Bohannon, and now I'm joined by Gator baseball writer Nick De La Torre. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm going through the, the Arkansas Ringer this week. I guess uh, the, a lot of a lot of pay, a lot of people paying attention to the Hogs on the diamond this year. Yeah, and uh, who have you been on with this week so far? Who have you talked to with Arkansas media ties or Arkansas baseball ties? Uh, well, obviously I did um, Andrew Hutchinson's because uh, we're both on the Rivals Network. And then right. um, I was just on with Mason Choke. They do the Omaha's podcast. And then uh, I've got one with uh, the Gator Baseball Dugout Club tonight. So keep them busy. Awesome, yeah. And it's the last series of the year. I can't mm -hmm. believe that. You know, it's kind of twofold. We're glad that we're to this point, but it's been such a, a great year. And I know I'll speak from, you know, from an Arkansas fan perspective, but this was a season where a lot of Gator fans were really looking forward to. Sure. Yeah. I think if you look at Florida, um, obviously preseason projections are just based off what you did the previous year, what you have coming back. And Florida started last year 16 and 0, um, lost the last game against Florida State before. The season was shut down, and then they only lost two players. So I think if you're – I mean, I'm even uh, – I'm still on the outside of the program, but pretty close to the program, you think, well, shoot, they were pretty good in 2020, probably going to be really good in 2021. So, you know, they start the season as a unanimous number one and, uh, you know, lose their very first series, open up a brand-new ballpark and lose their first series to Miami. And uh, until Arkansas took over that number one spot, it was a trap because I think Vanderbilt went to number one after that, and then they lost Ole the Miss. series. And yep. Ole Miss, yeah, Ole Miss was right after. And um, I remember thinking, it, it, the first place is a trap. Whoever's there is going to lose, and Arkansas has proven that point wrong all year long. Yeah, and it, it's been kind of weird because I, I keep waiting for them to fall. Um, mm. I, I coached a few guys on this team during the summer, Caden Wallace, Jackson Wiggins, Ethan Bates, and – just it, it's a good mix of veterans and young guys that you, you don't think could gel that quickly and have that level of chemistry, but they've seemed to do it. And I look and see this Florida team as kind of a, okay, you got Colby Halter, who's a freshman and play, you know, starting 43 out of the 45 games. And then you got somebody like Judd Fabian. Has this Florida team really gelled or are you just now seeing that? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I think Florida had a, has a lot of guys, and I think I opened some fans' eyes when somebody asked me, uh, well, who comes back next year? And I just rattled off like 10, 10 guys, I think, that will be drafted this year at some point. And that's not even including, you know, the, the recruiting class, which is top five, you know, for uh, among the people that rank recruiting classes. So um, I think what happened earlier on in the year, Florida's, which I would consider their third best pitcher, Nick Pogue, uh, towards UCL and need to have Tommy John surgery the opening week. And I think there were a lot of guys on Florida's roster, older guys that kind of got this mentality, like, Whoa, that could happen to anybody. Um, and I think Florida was just kind of going through the motions for maybe the first month of the season. And, you know, you start reading all these nice headlines about yourself and you think, well, this is, you know, we can just roll the balls and bats and helmets out there and we'll win games. And I think that they had a, a harsh reality that you can't do that. Um, so I think, you know, there might've been a divide in the locker rooms among the older guys, the draft eligible guys and some of the younger guys, but um, it's really started to click for the Gators. They went up to Tennessee. Um, we're winning Friday night, lost to heartbreaker, um, lost because of an error on Saturday and they came out and, and won uh, a game on Sunday. And, I'm sure you watched the, the 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 series last weekend. Tennessee likes to talk yeah. a lot, so uh, it, it was hey, chirpy. Yeah, it was chirpy when Florida was there as well. And I think that that series really set Florida off, and, and they've been playing some really good baseball since uh, since they came back from Knoxville. And, and maybe that was, you know, what needed to shake them out of it and, and to get them playing as a team. You know, sometimes if you coach a sport, you know, like, hey, even if they have to. If I have to be the jerk coach to have them rally around me, that's fine. I think that Florida needs something to rally around, and I think they found it that weekend in Knoxville. Yeah, and you, you talked about the, the the mouths and and the crap talking, so to speak. You know, yeah. keep it family friendly here. The Tennessee players, you know, Coach Tony Vitello kind of ruffled Coach O'Sullivan's feathers too earlier this year. And yeah, I don't, two. I don't think Tony's yeah. on Kevin's uh, Christmas card list. <laughs> so that's two out of the three. Uh, I, I consider Tim Corbin, Kevin O'Sullivan, Dave Van Horn, kind of the royalty in SEC. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you got Paul Maneri. But that's two out of the three that you're just not on the good side of right now. And I know DVH and Tony B have a good relationship, but, you know, so that that's another thing. I think Tennessee is just carving themselves out to be, you know, rivals for everybody and of course florida and tennessee go back to the peyton manning days and that's just always going to be a natural rivalry so but one one thing i want to talk about tommy mason hunter barco there were so many expectations going into this season uh top prospects going into the 2021 draft projected first rounders they both have eras over four haven't pitched as well as what they could have this year talk to me about those two guys yeah, well, starting with Tommy Mace, I think um, he's a guy that, you know, coming at, he was drafted last year and he put a number out there and um, uh, his, his dad told me he turned down $1.8 million, could have signed last year. And, um, you know, certainly for him, you're betting on yourself when you do that, but it's not, you know, a bad backup plan to, at the time, get to open up Friday night, a brand new ballpark for the number one team in the country. I think he struggled a little bit early on. His numbers are deceiving. I think he's pitched yeah. better than his numbers, certainly of late, his last three, four starts. I think he's gotten better in each of those. Um, but at one point of the year, he was taken out of his Friday night role and brought out of the bullpen. And that certainly wasn't what he expected to have happen um, to him. He, he pitched really well last Friday. He seems to kind of this year have a blow up inning. And whether that's, you know, allowing two runs or five, um, he seems to have one kind of inning where loses either loses the zone or you know stops missing bats and and the guys are making contact but then he kind of settles down he's just an ultimate competitor he's kind of like that uh like a wild dog on the mound i I tell people all the time it doesn't matter if he struck out the side or if he gave up four home runs he's gonna walk off the mound looking angry Um, and that's just the kind of attitude he has on the mound and i think he's really finding his stride and i know he's a guy that is relishing the opportunity two pitch on the road. He'll feed off of that hundred, you know, hundred percent capacity crowd at bond this weekend, booing him. He'll, he loves that kind of stuff. Um, now that, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have a great start, but, but yeah, uh, but he lives for that kind of moment, that kind of stuff. And then Jack Leftwich is a guy um, didn't go drafted last year. He's got the stuff. He just hasn't really put it together. There were some injuries early on in his career. He's had to deal with some pretty bad blisters throughout his career. 
Um, but he's really elevated himself in his new role. And I think, you know, when I look at Arkansas and I look at Kevin Copps, um, I, I think of Michael Byrne and the way Florida used Michael Byrne in 2017 as yep. you, you've essentially got a guy who doesn't, doesn't shrink to the moment when it's, you know, coming into a base loaded situation, one out with a tie game, he's not going to freak out in that moment, but he's also got the kind of arm like the starter does. So really with Jack Leftwich in the bullpen, you've got a guy that if Tommy goes in and can't pitch more than four, whether it's pitch count or runs, you have a guy out of the bullpen that can finish that game. No problem. Um, so I think that's kind of where they've, they've slotted in Jack and, and Florida's really shrunk their bullpen down to really only using three guys in, in key situations and with Jack Leftwich being one of them. So um, Florida's third starters struggled. Florida's actually lost the last three times he's taken the mound to start a game. But I think Leftwich has done such a good job in the bullpen that O'Sullivan's kind of hesitant to, mess with the bullpen to try to figure out that, that third starter spot. So not necessarily where Jack left, which thought he would be when he came back for his senior season. Um, but he's really found, you know, a niche for himself in the bullpen as Florida's closer. And also a guy like cops that, Hey, if we need you to go get nine outs for the save, he can do that as well. Yeah. And it's funny because listeners will probably hear us talking about this and they're thinking the world has fallen to an end because we're talking about two national seeded team you know yeah. Florida and Arkansas will likely be top eight seeds no matter what and we're just talking through what kind of issues these guys have like Judd Fabian preseason consensus player of the year perfect game D1 baseball baseball America SEC player of the year started out slow but you, you look up he's got 20 home runs 46 RBIs not hitting the possible you know as high as he could be at, at 267 but he he's the spark of this team he's hit a third of the team's home runs um, how is his year being? Talk to us about Judd for a little bit. So it's uh, for Florida fans. They're, they're most of them are new to baseball, probably since 2007, because the team was okay, but not super great until Kevin O'Sullivan took over. Um, right. Judd Fabian enrolled at Florida early, and a lot of Florida fans are just football fans. They think, okay, whatever. I'm like, that's not normal in baseball. You don't, you know, <laughs> guys don't skip their senior season of baseball to come and play. So Judd yep. came into the year not only is he a great player, but then you look, he's only 20 years old. He'll only be 20 years old at the time of the draft, but he's still draft eligible. So, and then with COVID, he's only a sophomore. So Judd comes into the year with all these projections and he has so much leverage given his age and his classification and Hey, this is my money year. And I think he had a slow start against Miami and then just got into his own head. And then he, he was, he's never been a, a great strikeout guy, but you know, to be, top five in the country in strikeouts, I would have never, never imagined that for him. And right. I think it just starts snowballing on you as it, as it can in baseball, uh, which is a game of failure. You fail seven out of 10 times, you're really successful. Um, and I think he just had to get out of his own head. Um, he hits, a, he hits really well. He has a lot of power to the opposite side of the field. And for a good six weeks, it looked like he was trying to hit everything 800 feet to, you know, off the foul pole yep. um, in left field. So I think that Tennessee series, he had, two really loud outs to right center and two home runs to right field and to right center. And I think that kind of showed him, okay, slow it down. You don't need to try to pull everything. He's, he's come up with a new two strike approach. He's complete, which are where he completely eliminates his leg kick just widens out. So the strikeouts have decreased um, and he's hit two home runs in each of the last three Saturday games. Um, so I think he's trying to, make a push to wear those blue jerseys Florida wears during the second game of their series for every game. But he's really, like you said, he's, he's the engine that kind of makes everything go for Florida. Um, just an incredible player. And, and honestly, Florida fans are probably hoping that he slides to the bottom half of the first round or second round. Um, Cause he has a ton of leverage and he can come back next year and they'd love to see him back in center field. Uh, and that's another thing. He's a, a tremendous center fielder, a lot of fun to watch on defense as well. Yeah. You got two probably the two center fielders that will be in a lot of All-American conversations with Christian Franklin and Judd Fabian. So it, uh, I know a lot of eyes will be turned there, especially with full capacity for the first time this year. And I wanted to talk to you about Florida on the road. Now, with just about every SEC team, two-thirds of their games are going to be played at home. We get that because, you know, a lot of schools will will have to pay money to them to go come into Gainesville or come into Fayetteville. 
Florida's twenty-eight and seven at home and seven and nine on the road. Yeah. What's Florida gonna have to do to take at least two or three this weekend and maybe get that top eight national seed? Uh let's start with not being the worst fielding team in the conference. Right. <laughs> the, um, you know, it's it's hard winning baseball games in the SEC is hard. Winning them on the road is harder. Uh, and then if you're giving teams 35 outs instead of 27 because you're kicking the ball around, you're not going to win a lot of games. So it's really strange to me. And, and I've been asked all year, what's up with Florida's defense? I mean, I've since I've been covering Florida since 2013, they've won two national fielding titles um, where yeah. you have the best fielding percentage in the country. And Kevin O'Sullivan has built his program on pitching and defense. And um, I said, I've been spoiled because I, you know, I watched some other teams and, not necessarily in the SEC, but watch some other college baseball games and guys are just booting balls and it almost looks like Little League at times. Um, and I've never seen that at Florida. So, I mean, to have your starting shortstop have a dozen errors. Um, Kobe Halter hasn't really played the last week and a half. He has 11 errors. And as a freshman, his bat's kind of cooled off. I don't have an answer for the errors or, or why Florida's committing so many, but you're going to have to play solid baseball on defense. Um, and not give the hogs more opportunities to hit because you've thrown the ball away or you, you laid a ball, a ball goes between your legs. You can't, you have to go. I mean, you don't have to go perfect, but you can't have a game with two, three errors. I don't see Florida being able to hit enough to really overcome, um, you know, the fielding woes they've had all year. Yeah. And I, Arkansas started out on fire. I think they were, they were fielding at a nine eighty five clip through about the first half of the season and then down the stretch right here, SEC play on the road more. I think they're right around the 979, 980 mark, and they've been one or two in the conference all year. That's a new thing for Arkansas because usually we're about middle of the pack, and I always looked at those Kevin O'Sullivan teams as really good, disciplined, fundamental fielding teams. So that's really kind of been a shock for me this year uh, considering that they haven't fielded as well, and I think it kind of goes back to – you know, is it COVID? It, you know, at some point, it can't be that excuse anymore. Yeah, they, they had a, a coach, so they, they made a move before last year. They brought on Chuck Duralleman, um, who's a great recruiter. And I think the coach that, that left was really the guy that hammered in the fundamentals and, and all this stuff. Florida almost looked like, even though they had all these talented players who were going to the MLB, and they always looked like a scrappy team, you know, the way they would – run two balls and, and get in front of baseballs at third baseman, just knocking them down, acting like a catcher over there, keeping the ball in front of him to make a play. Uh, and I think right now, Florida, especially early on, might have been feeling really good about themselves. And you saw them try to make some routine plays look a little flashier. And um, I think they're trying to get better at it. They got better at it for a stretch, but uh, had a bunch of errors last weekend as well. Um, and then always there's some more errors when we're sitting in the press box and you turn around, you hear the guy say hit and you look around, and you're like, hit, that's a, that's a friendly, <laughs> that's a friendly hit. You just gave him, uh, over there. So I think there might even be more errors, but yeah, Florida's fielding at a 966 clip, which is, is, is the worst in Kevin O'Sullivan's tenure and he's in his 14th season. So it's not been a fun year for Florida, uh, with the leather. Well, I know. You know, Razorback fans are trying – you know, the Razorbacks are trying to get something done that's been never been done in school history and only been done once in the SEC is win 10, 10 straight series on the season. Of course, Vanderbilt did it back in 2013. Florida has had that chance before. But I ask everybody that comes on the show from opposing teams, you know, take your fan hat off for a minute, you know, looking at just the baseball by itself. When the dust settles on Saturday and the games have been played, who wins the series and, and what's the count? Yeah, I think I think Arkansas wins the series. If you're Florida um, right now, I think you're a lock for a regional seed to to sneak in. I think they're probably on the borderline of of being a national seed. They'd probably need to win the series at Arkansas at least get two wins, if not sweep, which I don't think is going to happen. You know, the first time bombs been full capacity all year. I'm sure the fans are just drooling for the opportunity to go see that that baseball team in in person. Um, it's, it's going to be really tough for Florida to win. They haven't, like you said before, haven't been a good team on the road. Now you're playing in a hostile environment against the number one team in the country. Um, but Florida has a lot to play for. And maybe, you know, that's, that's something that, like you mentioned, I, I've covered a team of Florida that, you know, had won eight straight and then dropped one had won nine straight. And it, it's a long season to, to carry that target on your back. 
and maybe Arkansas gets into a situation where it's like, Hey, we're, we're settled. Like unless Arkansas gets swept and loses two and Hoover, like they're going to be the number one overall seed in the tournament. Um, right. So maybe you catch a team slipping a little bit and saying like, Hey, we've worked all year long. Now's the time where we can like catch our breath and refocus for the tournament. Maybe Florida catches you like that. I just think that the way Florida's pitched and how inconsistent their, their pitching has been at times. And then obviously with the gloves and, and the errors, I just think it's going to be really hard for Florida to, to, to win this series. I think if you're the Gators, you want to win, you don't want to get swept and then you want to have a good showing in Hoover to try to earn one of those national seeds. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, Kevin O'Sullivan's not telling his team, Hey, let's just try to win one. But I think yeah. that's, uh, I think that's probably, you know, me realistically, I think Florida can win one and maybe sneak two. Um, but to do that, I think you're probably going to have to get the starting pitchers out before it becomes cops time and maybe get to that, that middle of the bullpen a little bit. Um, and, and I just don't know if, if Florida is going to be able to do that this weekend. Yeah, I agree with you. Arkansas just announced that it'll it has changed up its starting rotation. They're going with Wicklander on Thursday. Of course, he had a short outing at Tennessee on Friday, went two and a third. So they're doing Caleb Bolden on Friday. And of course, Saturday is the infamous TBA once again. But, you know, we haven't swept anybody since Mississippi State. Had the chance to a few times with LSU and AM. And of course, last week at Tennessee, you know, you're you're one, you're three outs away. Jackson Wiggins got in trouble in the bottom of the ninth in game two, and Max Ferguson took advantage of it. But I don't see a sweep. I see an Arkansas two out of three right here. Uh, but, Nick, man, thanks so much for coming on with us and, you know, shedding some light on what we can expect from the Florida Gators this weekend. If we do see each other in the postseason, I uh, hope we can uh, get together and, and cheer on some SEC baseball. Absolutely. And uh, maybe uh, if Florida doesn't make it to Omaha, maybe I can freelance for somebody in Arkansas and uh... – and get another trip out to Omaha because I love that. I love that tournament. Sounds good, brother. We'll, we'll definitely take you anytime. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For Nick DeLatore, this is Kevin Bohan. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us. Thanks a lot. Go Hogs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.